Hey everyone, this is Evan Wickham, and I just want to thank you for listening to the Park Hill Church podcast. So glad you're here. And if you've been here for a while, you know that this podcast is primarily Sunday teachings, recorded at our gatherings and posted here. And we are going to continue to do that. Uh, But we also wanted to broaden our use of this podcast. We think it's a powerful medium in today's world. And so in between the teachings, we're going to add interviews and mini teaching series and prayer reflections and practices, also that our church would be more unified as we step into a new year. And yeah, but it's, it's New Year's Day. Happy New Year to you. I'm recording this on January 1st. Uh, it should be uploaded tonight, uh, same day. And so I don't know about you, but every New Year's Day, it's like I get a fresh blast of creative juices. And so I had this idea to do a four-part mini-series on prayer. Four-part mini-series on prayer. And, and I ran this idea by Sandy, and she's like, this is perfect, especially in light of Seek First Sundays that we're launching tomorrow night, January 2nd. Every first Sunday of every month in 2022, we are gathering in our building 7 p.m. to pray and seek God. Uh, we want his tangible presence to mark our community. Just like the people of old, when Moses and the children of Israel were there in the wilderness, and they're like, we, we need your presence. And Moses is like, I, show me your glory. I dare not move into the next moment unless you manifest your presence among us. We need you. And so that's, that's our heart for Seek First Sundays. Um, so to get us there, we're going to do this four-part mini-series on prayer. And it'll just be very conversational. We'll just turn on the mic and kind of see what happens. Um, it's not scripted like a normal Sunday teaching, but it, but it will be rooted in a, in a very clear theme each, each time. And uh, each of these themes will be pulled out of the life of Jesus and how Jesus approached prayer. And uh, yeah, so the, the, first, the first thing I want to say before, before I talk about the four themes is that Christians typically have a love-hate relationship with prayer. Um, we know it's good for us. We nod our heads when we hear teachings about prayer, and we even love it when we pray, but there's always like this resistance. There's this, there's this discomfort with prayer. We don't pray enough, or we're dissatisfied with our prayer lives. By the way, how many Christians do you know? What percentage would say they're 100% satisfied with their prayer life. It's like, how's your prayer life? Oh man, I am, I am soaring on eagle's wings. I'm running and not growing weary. I am just owning prayer. I'm living the, the ideal prayer life. I don't know many Christians that, that say that. Uh, most of the time it's, it's, you know, I just wish I had more time or man, I'm not as consistent as I'd like. There's always a, a level of dissatisfaction. There's always an ideal we feel we're not meeting. And part of that can just be, you know, dis- discouragement. We need, to, we need to give to Jesus and be gentle with ourselves. Um, but I think a, a, a bigger part of that is because we're, we're over busy and we, we listen to noise and we're formed by social media and the news and, we, and, and we're not formed by Jesus. We don't pray with Jesus. And that brings us to the four themes for this series, um, praying with Jesus. A lot of what I'm going to talk about um, in these four, four little conversations, they come from Scott McKnight's book, Praying with the Church, and the subtitle, Following Jesus Daily 
hourly today, and I love this book. Super eye-opening for me. If you if you have a chance, I'm not sure that we have it at our book table at Park Hill, but uh, if we do, grab it. Otherwise, get Praying with the Church uh, from Amazon or wherever. Um, in this book, he, he basically, he distinguishes between praying with the church and praying in the church. I grew up with a strong tradition of praying in the church, and that's, I'm an individual, I am part of the church for sure, but I'm supposed to get alone, get in a prayer closet, and pray privately. And, and that's pri- the primary way to pray. And, um, and then when I get together with other Christians for like a night of worship or something, like we're going to do, uh, and, and then I pray spontaneous prayers, or I pray between songs, or I pray in a group or whatever, and I ask God to heal um, sick people and provide for those that are needy, these things are all praying in the church. And it's me as an individual coming up with words to say. That's important. That's essential to life with God. Uh, But praying in the church only happens in the bigger picture of praying with the church. And, And that is standing in a long line, humbly, of those that have gone before us, receiving prayers, receiving psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Jesus prayed the psalms Jesus gave his disciples the Our Father. The church has prayed the Our Father for 2,000 years. And, and since then, the church has passed on a rich tradition of prayer books. And these things are like the house for the whole family. And then each individual family member has kind of a bedroom or a closet. They can go and, and be themselves as well. But the house is, is the house of prayer that we all receive. And um, I love, love this picture. And uh, a metaphor in the book that he uses for this is St. Francis of Assisi, uh, he encountered God in this little tiny church building in, in Italy in the 13th century. And, and now you can visit this church building. It's a little shack. But the church has built a cathedral around this shack. So it's like a little church inside a big church. And, and he's saying that little church is kind of like your private prayer closet, you know, and, and then the church built around the little church is, is the rich house of prayer that we all live in together. And too often, me, at least my tradition, was to focus on the prayer closet and ignore the cathedral, uh, the context where my prayer closet even makes sense. Because I can say really weird things in this prayer closet that may or may not be orthodox or line up with the scriptures or tradition, the tradition of Jesus. Um, and so I have to remind myself, oh my gosh, I'm part of something so big and so old and so rich. And, and it's, this, it's this idea of praying with the church. And, and then I can pray in the church as an individual. And uh, so, so, so we can look at the life of Jesus to see this dynamic. Jesus prayed with his people. And, um, and so, so, so there's four things that Scott McKnight points out from the life of Jesus. Uh, we can learn about, number one, sacred time, and that's learning when to pray. Number two, sacred term, and that's learning what to call God. And then sacred rhythms, that's learning what time of day to pray. And sacred prayers, that's learning what to say when you pray. And, and we can look at Jesus for all four of these things. And so today, for this first one, um, I'm just going to look at sacred time, learning when to pray. And so Jesus, Jesus prayed all the time. He was totally a prayer closet guy. Like he'd 
go up onto a mountain and pray alone all the time. In fact, in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Mark, it tells us that in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. It doesn't tell us what he said. He was definitely alone. But, but think about this. Um, the disciples searched for Jesus and found him. What does that tell you? I mean, that tells, that tells me that the disciples knew where Jesus was and what he was probably doing. There was a time for prayer. They knew, oh, this is the time Jesus is praying. He's probably praying. Um, Jesus had what we call fixed hour prayer. Uh, the Jews of Jesus' day all had fixed hour prayers. By the way, um, this is still very commonplace in Islam, right? Fixed hour prayer five times a day. Turn your mat to Mecca and pray the prayers of Islam if you're a Muslim. Um, and those things form the Islamic community. Uh, Sandy and I were in New York recently. <laughs> one of the busiest, definitely the busiest city in America, one of the busiest in the world. And we're driving down, you know, midtown with high rises everywhere and Christmas. It was a week before Christmas. Crazy. And, and, and we look to the left and there's a, a prayer mat rolled out right on the, the dirty sidewalk beneath, you know, 100-story buildings and someone uh, kneeling to pray their prayers. Uh, an, uh, a Muslim kneeling to be formed by a fixed hour expression of prayer. Um, you know, I, I, I sometimes think, man, what a shame that public set prayers aren't commonplace in the body of Christ, at least in the world I'm in, you know, in modern American evangelicalism. We don't, I mean, it's, it's, it can be, it can feel awkward to even pray before a meal in a restaurant. You're like, hey, let's pray really quick. Let's just hold hands and like pray real quick. And then the waiter comes and interrupts you like, oh, we weren't really, you know, uh, it can be, it can be daunting to think of praying publicly, but this, you know, is commonplace for most of human history. And it was very, it was the way to pray in Jesus' day. The disciples knew, oh, Jesus is praying somewhere. We're going to find him. It's very interesting. And uh, there's this quote in this book by a guy named Arthur Paul Bors. He says, the Psalms, the prayer book Jesus used, the Psalms confirm that we can know God's presence at all times only if we set aside certain times for prayer. The Jews did not buy into a more current notion that since God is present everywhere and in all times, then we can pray whenever we feel like it. No, rather, they believe that praying regularly at set and specific times helps focus and reorient someone to God at all the other times. Did you catch that? It's like fixed hour prayer has the power to infuse all the other moments of our day with a higher awareness of God's presence. So this is all about setting aside concrete set times for fixed hour prayers throughout your day. Maybe it's 7 a.m. and noon and 7 p.m. or something. And those set times become the framework that, that literally frames up the rest of your spiritual life in God. Um, and this is uh, in contrast to the random pray whenever you feel like it, whenever you remember throughout the day. Uh, I remember um, using Paul's command, you know, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, pray without ceasing. I would use that uh, almost to justify my lack of discipline in prayer, 
even as a pastor, even recently, I used to think this, and Scott McKnight helped me kind of unwind that hairball because it's not healthy, it's, and it's not, not New Testament, it's not Jesus. But I would say, you know, people would say, how do you pray? What's your prayer life, Evan? And I'd be like, I pray without ceasing. <laughs> By which I meant I just kind of um, pray whenever I remember to, which is not discipline. Um, it's great. It's, it can be beautiful, 100%. And often, you know, we point to Brother Lawrence, the Carmelite monk in the 1600s uh, in Paris. He wrote that book, Practicing the Presence of God. And, and I'd use that. I'd be like, I, you know, I practice the presence of God. I just pray whenever I... I, I, whenever I'm driving or whenever I'm cooking or whenever I'm walking my dog or whatever, I pray all the time. But, but Brother Lawrence, there was a key difference. He was a monk, which means he probably set aside seven fixed-hour prayer moments with the community of brothers in the Carmelite monastery he was committed to. So all of his, you know, spontaneous, abiding, um, private, intimate prayer that he championed beautifully, it was all within the framework of monastic set times where he would pray the same prayers and reaffirm his covenant with God and his community through prayer. Uh, That was his life. And, uh, you know, so I I love what Scott McKnight says here. He's like, there's this longstanding tradition, uh, a Christian tradition of praying constantly, quote-unquote. And it comes from, you know, Paul's letter to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, and a standard translation is pray without ceasing. And he says, at one level, this is impossible. How can I be constantly praying and at the same time concentrate on driving in rush hour traffic? Or, you know, how can I pray to God and be talking to another person if prayer is talking to God? Um, so he says this, in the history of the church, there's two interpretations. Either Paul is exhorting us to be in a constant attitude of prayerfulness, or, as I tend to think, we are to devote ourselves to the sacred rhythms of prayer. There's plenty of biblical support for either view, and one can appeal to Jesus' life for both. Perhaps we should say, we don't know, and opt for both viewpoints. And I think that's beautiful. So it's not, you know either spontaneous, private, intimate, individual prayer, or this set, fixed prayer life. No, it's both. They feed into each other. We have the small house inside the larger house. We have the private prayer closet inside the communion of the saints in the, in the cathedral of, of tradition that we've been given by thousands of years of Holy Spirit-filled saints. So, uh, yeah, that, that, is, that is the first of the four episodes of this short prayer conversation. Um, and this one was about sacred time. If you want a vibrant prayer life in God, you have to show up for it and show up regularly. Um, prayer can't be like a satellite orbiting me. It has to be the north and south pole of my world. I am spinning on the axis of prayer. Abiding in Christ isn't accidental. It is empowered by him, but it's a partnership with me. And God wants this for you. He wants this with you. Um, Behind the fabric of the universe, we find a Trinitarian community of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, all three together 
one God forever, in perfect harmony, in self-giving affection and presence and love. And you, as God's child, if you follow Jesus, believe he is Lord, you are part of that dance of love. You are invited into that abiding community of the Spirit. And uh, the way that we say yes to this is not an accidental afterthought way. It is an intentional agreement way. And it's the way of prayer. And uh, yeah, so I want to lead us as we, as we close this episode, uh, lead us in a prayer that the church all over the world is praying. Um, this comes to us from the Book of Common Prayer. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, the English-speaking world has this book and it has a rich tradition in this book. And um, millions of Christians all over are praying this very prayer today. This comes to us for January 1st. And uh, if you could just take a deep breath wherever you are, maybe you're, maybe you're driving in your car or you're at home or uh, on a treadmill or wherever, just take a deep breath, open up your hands, maybe uncross your legs, uncross your arms, just in a, in a position of openness. And just pray this after me. Eternal Father, you gave to your incarnate Son the holy name of Jesus to be the sign of our salvation. Plant in every heart, we pray, the love of him who is the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Now just give him gratitude for the next 30 seconds. I'm going to read to you Numbers 6, verses 23 through 27. This is the ancient blessing of the priests. They would speak over the people. The family of God would receive this blessing. And you can receive this blessing right now. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, In this way you will bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I'll bless them. Finally, in a spirit of gratitude, knowing that we have the blessing of God as his sons and daughters, 
I'm going to read to you Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. And receive these words in a spirit of prayer and thanksgiving, knowing that this is what God has done to set us free from sin and to free us up for loving relationship with one another and God himself. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. In these last few moments of prayer, just ask the Holy Spirit what it might mean that you are an heir with Christ of all God's riches. What does that say about all of your earthly possessions, which are good and needful? What does it say about all your relationships and your vocation? That since you are God's child, God has made you an heir of Jesus' inheritance forever. Go ahead and ask him what that means as we close. Father, I thank you that you've sent your son, Jesus, to live the life that we could never have lived. But because Jesus died and rose, and because you, Father, along with your son, have sent your spirit to empower us, now we can live together with you and abide with you and continue to grow into the image of Christ. We can more and more live the life of Jesus today. Thank you for that. Thank you for that power. And we pray that you would empower even our prayers as we seek to be a community shaped by the love of the Trinity right here in San Diego in our time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So church, thanks for joining this first this first conversation in this mini-series on prayer. I hope to see you on our Sunday gatherings and in our Seek First Sundays as we cry out to God in prayer together as his church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have an incredible new year in Jesus' name.